Pray with me again this morning. Lord, we do thank you for your ancient word. It is in many ways, Lord, uh, ancient. It's eternal, just as you are. But, Lord, it's living. It's powerful. It's new every day in different ways. Um, and so, Lord, uh, we just pray that, uh, Lord Jesus, you'd do for us what you did as you walked on this earth, that you would um, open eyes that uh, before were blind, open ears that before couldn't hear. Um, Lord, through your work in our lives, you have given us new hearts that are soft and pliable in your hand. And we pray, Lord, that if there's any sin that's hardened that heart, if there's any uh, darkness that's been uh, allowed to creep in, Lord, that uh, the light of your word would shine on that, God. Um, We thank you for the time of worship we've already had. Um, Now help us to worship, Lord, continually as we um, hear your word, as we uh, submit ourselves to it, God. Uh, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, Father, be acceptable to you and pleasing to you, God. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, look around you. Do you see it? Do you? It's electromagnetic radiation. Ooh, sounds, sounds dangerous, doesn't it? You can only see a small portion of it. That's those wavelengths that are the light that we see. We're surrounded by this reality, but only a portion of it, a small portion of it, we see. And and the miracle, I was reading an article this week from a London newspaper, and and it was talking about the complexity of the human eye, and it said it would almost lead one to believe in, in divine intervention. And then it went on to say, but of course that's not the case that all mammals have. And I mean, they went so far, they just went as close as they could come to saying, that eye's a miraculous thing, there has to be a master designer behind it. But they wouldn't quite go there. They just couldn't do it. But that light passes through this miracle of our eyes, through this protective shield there, the cornea. And as it passes into that cornea and then reaches the lens, it's the lens. And the lens of the human eye is covered with millions of little light-sensitive receptors. It's, it's an amazing, the eye is just an amazing miracle itself. Well, spiritually speaking, I want us to think about the complexity of that and just think about our, the eyes of our heart, as Paul says in Ephesians, being enlightened. That the eyes of our hearts would be open so that we could see the light that God has for us. Specifically, the light that he has for us in his word. And so, when it's too dark for us to see, well, what do we do? We flip on the light switch if we're out, you know, campfire, if we're out there in the, in the woods someplace. We have a flashlight or a headlamp that we use to show us our next step. We also have headlights on our car that show us the road in front of us. That's the idea behind that first sentence there in verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet like a flashlight or it's a light to my path like a headlamp that's showing. I mean, a headlight on our car or on a truck that's showing us the the way that we need to go. Paul Tripp says this. As a sinner living with other sinners in a fallen world. You encounter darkness every day. And while you may experience Instagram-worthy sunny-day picnic lunches, the reality is that life is more of a midnight walk through the woods. On any given day, you probably encounter more darkness than you do truth, both internally and externally. 
So if you're going to move forward and to make your way without danger to get where you are meant to go, you need something to light your way. And the psalmist says that God's word is that light that he has given us to see our next step. And it is the lamp and the light that helps us short term and long term to know the way that we should go. It shows us the way through afflictions and sufferings. The passage that Jason read for us says that it shows us the way through trouble and through danger, which the text says, I think that that's just life itself. And his word is a lamp to our feet and it's a light to our path to show us how to worship and how to praise and ultimately how to finish and finish well. That's all that's all in this text. Now, before we go any further, though, the written word is given to us to point us to the living word, which is Jesus. Right. And he said himself in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And so that's kind of where I've gotten the, the titles, the headings that you see in your sermon notes there. That one day this light will illuminate the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation tells us that. But right now, the light of the world, Jesus, has given us his word of light to show us the way to go. And that's, that's how we're going to work our way through the text, okay? The light of the world gives us his word of light. To show us the direction we need to go. Look at the first 105 and 106. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it, he says, to keep your righteous rules. There's a contrast here between our next step and the step that's further down the road. Where I'm going to step now and where I need to go down the road. And that's the picture that he wants us to get. There's a deliberate step in this. Your word is a lamp to my feet. I'm taking a deliberate step, the psalmist says. And so I know where to go in that step. I'm looking to your word. There's a deliberate step and there's also a deliberate commitment. I'm going to keep your righteous rules. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it. I'm going to keep your righteous rules. So let's think about that for just a second. Susan and I were talking about this yesterday. Your lamp, God, that you give us shows us the next step. So I can turn to God's word based on that. And as I'm making moment by moment decisions, as I'm deciding deliberately which step to take, I can turn to the word and it gives me the light I need to know where to step. Or long term, it gives me a road to follow, principles, if you will. So there's precepts, I'll call them precepts for my next step, and there's principles for what comes down the road. And I was just thinking about some examples of that. Okay? For instance, here's the precept. James tells us that if we see a brother or sister in need, we're to meet that need. We're not just to say be warm and blessed. We're to meet that need. So... The precept for my initial step, if I see a brother or sister in need, is to be involved to meet that need. Long term, okay, down the road, then, then Jesus tells us that, that there's this joy in generosity. The Apostle Paul quotes him in Acts chapter 20. Remember the words of the Lord, how he said himself, it's more blessed to give than receive. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not out of compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So the 
precept for the next step. If I see a brother or sister in need, I'm going to step in and meet that need. Down the road, the principle that shows me the direction to go is to be joyously generous. Give you another example. In Matthew chapter 5, my next step, Jesus says, is if I'm coming to the altar and I remember that I have a brother who has something against me, I leave my gift there, he says. Therefore, leave your gift before the altar and go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Your next step, if there's issues between you and someone else, is to go to them. That's the next step. The principle that gives us a view down the road, a longer view, I think Paul gives us one. In Colossians 3, you bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. My next step is a step of reconciliation where it's needed. The principle, the roadmap for further down the road is walking in love and forgiveness. The way God has extended love and forgiveness to me. I'll give you one more. In James chapter 1, the precept for what I should say next, for what I should post next, for how I should respond next to whatever I'm responding to, the precept for that next step, James says, is let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. So my next step might not be a step at all. It might just be, "Mm, I'm going to listen. Principle, the long-term principle for that, I think Paul gives us in Ephesians. Let no corrupting talk come out of my mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So the next step is just listen. Shut up and listen. The principle down the road is to walk in grace and speak in grace. So Spurgeon, as he does in all of Psalm 119, puts this whole first section together really well. Having no fixed lamps in east, no fixed lamps in eastern towns, in the old time each person carried a lantern with him that he might not fall into the open sewer or stumble over the heaps of dung that defiled the road. This is a true picture of our path through this dark world. We should not know the way or how to walk it if scripture like a blazing flame did not reveal it. God's Word helps us avoid those messes and helps us see long-term a better route to go. So there's a deliberate step to take and there's a deliberate commitment that the psalmist makes. Obedience, church, listen, does not happen by accident. It just doesn't. I like to call it the spiritual gravity of a broken world. It's just going to drag us down if we don't. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we're swimming upstream against a flow that's leading away. So obedience is deliberate. And he he says, I've sworn an oath and confirmed it. Now, someone would say, well, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yeah, don't go there. Don't do that. You stood before me when I married you, if you got married in this church, and you made a commitment, right? I do. I do, for better or for worse. If you stand in a, in a testimony box in a court of law, you're going to swear an oath. So all he's saying here is that I'm resolving 
to keep God's word. I am making that resolution to keep God's word. There's a deliberate step and a deliberate commitment to that step first. All right. Secondly, the light of the world gives us his word of light to show us the way through afflictions. Look at what follows. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. In verse in 110, he says, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. David, who I think wrote Psalm 119, is going through a tough time. No, he's not just going through a tough time. He says he is severely afflicted. And it's not the first time he's been there, right? I mean, we've seen that over and over in Psalm 119. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So we see the sovereign hand of God over those afflictions, even as we're called to endure them. Earlier he said, I've sworn an oath. It's like he took an oath into an army and went straight into the heat of battle. That's the oath he took. So he's been afflicted once, twice, three, four, constantly, and it's not going to be the last time. That's that's kind of what he's telling us here. I was reading earlier this week in Psalm 71. I had not underlined this particular verse until then. Verse 20 of Psalm 71 says, You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. Amen? He will do that. He brings those calamities and those afflictions into our lives. And so earlier this week, some of you noticed what I had posted there. You mean even when I stumble and fall, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Even though I stumbled and fell yesterday, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Even though we fought again last night, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Even though I lost my job, even though I I got this diagnosis, even though I have to go through another treatment, even though the stock market's down, even though she left me, even though I buried them yesterday, I could go on and on, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path through every affliction that you bring. And some of them are brought upon me by others. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. This is a picture of a soldier walking through red-hot battle and not straying from his duty, not leaving his post, not running, but sticking to what he's been called to do. The wicked have laid a snare for me. What does that look like? I was reading an article this week. About Bubba Watson, Masters champion, PGA professional. If you look at his Twitter account, the first thing he says about himself is he's a follower of Christ. And he's fought the battles for it, too, publicly. A few years ago, you might remember Jason Collins, an NBA professional basketball player, announced that he was homosexual. That same weekend, Bubba was playing in a golf tournament, and a reporter came up and stuck a microphone in his face and said, What's your opinion on Jason Collins' announcement? Well, and Bubba kind of gave an uncertain, kind of evasive answer, and immediately he says he was convicted about it. Immediately he was convicted about the way he answered it. And the journalist knew what he was doing, and so did Bubba. And so he, he went home and he called his pastor, and they talked through it, and he called that, Bubba called that reporter back and said, I'd like a retake on that. 
And he knew what was going to happen if he went on record. But he said what God's word said and stuck to it. And he got killed over it in the media. The wicked had laid a snare for him, knowing that if he did what he normally would do, then, you know, the reporter's going to look good and Bubba's going to look bad. But he said, it's worth the cost. It's worth the cost. So, snares will be laid for us in different ways. But the light of the world gives us the word of his light to show us through those afflictions. And it comes from his precepts. It comes from his word. Apart from that, we're stumbling around dark and just trying to be creative with how we answer. Or we're trying to fit in. And the psalmist says no. Thirdly, look at verse 109. I hold in my life my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The light of the world gives us the word of his light to show us the way through danger. And what he's saying in this verse is that life is dangerous. I hold my life in my hand continually. One writer said, he's saying, I walk in the midst of dangers and among a thousand deaths continually. I am in deaths often. My life is exposed to perils every day, yet I do not forget thy law. I keep it close to thee and keep close to thee whatsoever comes of it. Someone posted a picture this week of a little boy standing on what looked like a ski jump. You know, you all may have seen it. This little kid up there with his skateboard in his hand and he's looking down this slope that looks like it goes about 200 yards and then goes off into a, a pier out into the water. And. If I remember it right, someone said, this is why God gives us mothers. Well, I put, this is why God gives some of us wives. You know, because for some of us, maybe life is a little more dangerous than others. But honestly, life is dangerous for all of us, right? I mean, for crying out loud, we have been walking now since March in this atmosphere of fear. Right? And, and, and I'm not discounting the legitimacy of that. I'm just saying that. Life is dangerous in a fallen world, right? I mean, life fiction could fall on my head right now. One of these has fallen before. You could walk out and just slip and fall and bust your head on the concrete. That's happened before. You can, I could go on and on, right? Life is dangerous. And for the believer, we understand that this life is tenuous. We understand that it's temporary. We understand that, in a sense, I'm holding my life in my hand continually. But even at the loss of that life, I'm keeping my eyes fixed on you, on your word. I'm keeping my eyes fixed on your laws, God. And I think this is going to become more and more timely and more and more relevant to us. Jason prayed this morning about those who suffer and go through afflictions in other places. Brothers and sisters, we have mission partners we support. We have nationals we support on the field. And they can get killed for going to church. They lose their families for professing in Jesus. They are literally holding their lives in their hands when they take Jesus into their heart. And we are in a world that's becoming more and more hostile to God and his word, to God's truth, to God's principles, his precepts. 
So we're going to be faced more and more often really with what Bubba Watson was faced with in, a, in, a, in some ways. We can hold on to our lives and refuse to let go of God's word or we can hold on to our lives and let go of God's word. And Jesus says that in doing that, we actually lose it, right? He who loses his life for my sake gains it. So living in the light of this Word that God gives us shows us the way through danger. And I'm, I'm not being a pessimist, it's a realist. Life is dangerous. William Cowper said this, speaking of the psalmist, he had his soul in his hand ready to give whenever God should take it. And this is to be observed, that there is no trouble so ready to take away the life of God's children as they are ready to give it. As Elijah came to the mouth of his cave to meet the Lord, as Abraham to the door of his tent to speak to an angel, so the soul of the godly stands ready in the door of the tabernacle of his body to remove it when the Lord shall command it. The light of the world gives us the word of light to know how to walk through a dangerous world where life is temporary. In verse 108, Accept the free will offerings of my praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. The light of the world gives us his word of light to show us the way to worship. And I want you to notice something here. There's a connection between worship and growth. There's a connection between worship and learning and teaching. So let me ask you a question. What does God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all, the owner of all, need from me? Hmm? What does God need from you and me? What could we offer him? That would be pleasing to him. I think what the writer is referring to here is back up what he said in in verse 106. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. God wants from us our words and our walk. Our words and our walk. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What what have we been seeing over and over and over in Psalm 119? We can expect God to keep his word, right? Amen? We can expect God to keep his word. Do you think he might want the same from us? I think so. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. So this offering of praise that he's offered up has been these words of, of, of commitment. God, I'm going to keep your word. God, I'm standing before you. I'm taking this oath, if you will, to keep your righteous rules. And here he says, that's my offering of praise to you, God. Back in Hosea, I think it's chapter 14, he says we are to return to the Lord and take words with us. That's our confession. That's our... That's, that's that confession of sin, that's that confession of praise, that's that testament. That's, we give to God that fruit of our lips. That's our, that's our worship to Him. I think that's what Paul is getting to in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he goes on and says, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. What is that good, acceptable, and perfect will? Here's the connection between worship and growth, between worship and the Word. By living out the Word, we become a discerner. Okay? 
What, what Bryn was talking about a couple of weeks ago, our truster muscle changes as we look to the Word. So we come to worship. This is why it's so critical, church. We, we sit under the Word. We listen to the Word. We read the Word. We pray the Word. We study the Word. We sing the Word. And as that Word makes its way into our hearts, our eyes of our hearts are opened and we begin to see things and understand things and begin to know how to take the steps that we need to take. And so what Paul is saying there is there's a practical embrace of the authority of God's Word. I mean, Southern Baptists are known for standing on the word as the inerrant, infallible word of God. What difference does that make in our lives? What difference does it make that we stand on that doctrinal truth? It makes a difference for the next step, and it makes a difference for down the road. It makes a difference in the way we worship and offer to God our walk of holiness and our words of praise, our words of thanksgiving. That's, that's what I think the psalmist is talking about here. And then at the end, notice what verse 111 and 112 says. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end or eternally or all the way to the end. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. Remember, the word testimonies in Psalm 119 speaks to what God has said about himself it's God's testimony of himself. It's his stories about himself. It's, his, it's what he tells us about his own character, what he tells us about his own actions in the past and what we can trust in the future. And that, the psalmist is saying, is my heritage. That's my inheritance. That's the promise that I'm holding to and looking forward to. So I was thinking about that. My history as a, as a Hodges and a Hageman, the legacy of my family... The stories of who we are and where we came from, what led my descendants to go live in the hollows of the mountains of North Carolina. What, what possessed them to go up to those crevices and cracks in the mountain? How we got to the mountains, the successes and the failures, the reputation of, of my grandparents and my great-grandparents and the reputation of my mom and dad, the stories of who I am and and what they said and did and what others have said and done, well, well, that's a part of my heritage. That's a part of my inheritance. And it can either be wind in my sails or it can be a weight that drags me under. That legacy that you've gotten from mom and dad, that heritage that you've gotten from your grandparents, is that what defines us? Is that what makes us who we are? Or is there something more? Praise God, there is more. Praise God, there's something else there. And, and, and if my primary identity as a man is in being a Hodges or a Hageman, I can be good or bad. If your primary heritage is, you know, being a Clayton or a Jones or whatever it is, it can be good, maybe not. There's lives that have been shipwrecked. Because of that legacy, whatever it may be. But listen, the psalmist is saying that I have a different inheritance. I have a different heritage. My heritage is who I am in Christ, right? That's what Paul says. 
my heritage is, is, is because God has chosen to bless me in Christ with every spiritual blessing before the foundation of the world in those heavenly places, Paul says. He has chosen me to be holy and blameless before him. In love, my heritage and my inheritance is that he predestined me for adoption to himself as a son through Jesus Christ. My heritage is the fact that my God has said, fear not, for I have redeemed you, you are mine. That's that's my inheritance. That's my heritage. And my inheritance is not here. Neither is yours if you're in Christ. It's as the writer of Hebrews says, we go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach. That's part of that heritage. Bear the reproach that he endured. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's what the psalmist says. He says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. You see, as believers, we're not living with our head in the sand. And we're not so heaven bound that we're of no worth here. We understand that life is dangerous, right? We understand we live in a fallen, broken, cruel world that's that's dangerous. And we feel, we know those steps are dangerous. And that's why the psalmist here cries out that God's word would be a lamp to his feet. This is not something subjective, church. This is not some ethereal reality that's out there somewhere. It's printed, given to us, and available to us to know what step to take next today and how to live tomorrow. That's, that's what it is. That's what this word is given for us here. And the same God who lights up the way for my next step and provides the road ahead for me to go is going to see it to the end, right? Going to see it to the end. To the end is what the writer says. So let me just give you a couple of things to think about, a couple of points of application. The written word points us to the living word, who is the light of this world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a simple question. Do you have the light of life? Are you still trusting your way when afflictions come and dangers come? Are you still counting on your resources and your abilities, your intellect, your charisma, your finances to get you out? We know it won't work. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. And as as Jesus came to give sight to the blind, he opens our blind soul to see his glory. As, As he opens deaf ears, he opens our ears to hear his word and it penetrates into our hearts. And the regeneration takes place and there's life that comes into our soul and we seek out and take hold of Jesus. Have you done that? I'll pray, I will pray when we finish that you would. Secondly, in Proverbs chapter 4, listen to these words from verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. But the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. They don't know what makes them stumble. If you've trusted in Jesus, listen to me, this is for believers. If you've trusted in Christ, you have the Spirit of God in you. And he has enlightened the eyes of your heart and is continuing to do that. And what the Proverbs writer said about the wicked, what he said about them stumbling and not knowing what makes them stumble, that's not the case for the believer. 
Most of us know very well what causes us to stumble, right? The Spirit of God works in us to bring conviction, and we know what causes us to stumble. And that Spirit of God in us convicts us of sin. And by the grace of God, through the Word of God, by the power of God, He gives us the sword of the Spirit. Interesting. The Word is the light, and the Word is also the sword. And He gives us that sword to kill that sin. So the light of the Word for my next step, and the lamp and the, and the light that shows me the direction also peers deep into my heart. So here's the simple application here, church. As a believer, let the light of that Word shine into our hearts and be specific about what it reveals and confess it. Because he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of that unrighteousness. And as God in his grace shines the light into our hearts, it's there so we will see it and turn from it and trust him. And here's the thing, thirdly, if you have stumbled, he's gracious and good to pick us up. Right? You've seen those scenes in the, in the movies where someone's lost in the darkness in the woods? And they, after a while, you just don't know what to do. You just stop. You can't go any direction. But I remember seeing those scenes, dark woods, and all of a sudden you see these lights just kind of come piercing and dancing their way through the trees as the rescuers make their way to you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if there's a sin there. I don't know if you've been, if you've sinned yourself or someone has sinned against you or maybe a combination of both and you feel like you're in the dark right now. Well, I want you to know that the Spirit of God is taking the Word of God and He's just dancing through those woods with that light coming to you. Are you going to run from that? Or are you going to turn to it and trust it? It's like a lighthouse on a cliff warning us and at the same time drawing us to safety his word is a lamp to my feet for my next step and it's a light to my path the road i need to follow let's pray and god we thank you for that light first we thank you for jesus who is the light of this world and father i pray now for anyone who hears this is watching it or is seated here that's that's never really trusted in Jesus, Lord. They're still, in the honesty and in, in the work of your spirit right now in their hearts, they see they're still in the dark. So, Father, I pray that the, the, that the saving power of Christ would just open up the eyes of their hearts to see Jesus in all his glory, to turn from their sin and trust you. And, Father, I pray for us as a church that, that your light, Lord, would pierce into our hearts. Show us where we've taken a misstep. Let us confess that, Lord, and be free from it. Show us, Lord, where we've maybe started down that path. It's not a good one. Thank you that we can turn and return. So, Father, thank you that your word directs us through afflictions and trouble. Thank you that your word, Lord, leads us and shows us how to worship. And Thank you, Lord, that your word's going to see us through to the end. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.